Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. That's a video from a, Kyle named, a guy named Kyle Dendy, who actually went to Faith Christian in Grapevine. Suzanne Parkhill told me about his ministry now, that he goes all over the world talking to the younger generation about finding purpose in your life. And, um, you know, with Pastor Pete being gone, he asked me to speak. And, you know, usually when I speak, uh, I share some things that God has been doing in my own life. And I know, I don't know about you guys, but this past semester and our focus on the legacy campaign really got me thinking about some things. Yeah, it, it was about, you know, our children and building the building for our children. But for me, and I know for a lot of y'all, um, it really got me to thinking about legacy, and I think at this stage of my life, um, you know, I'm turning 55 this year, and I'm starting to think about what legacy do I want to leave um, this world. And I actually read a bunch of books these past few uh, months. I know this one I read um, called Living Forward, and it actually had me do a life plan because I began to think about where do I want to be in the next 5, 10, 15 years and here I am, 55 years old, and actually put some things down about a life plan of where uh, I felt God might be leading me. And then, you know, beside reading the books, my wife's a big um, listener of podcasts and leadership. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in Atlanta. And I listen to a lot of his podcasts. And, you know, it kind of drove some things for me to think about today. I want to talk to you about um, finding your purpose. But what Andy, Andy Stanley says in this podcast, which I think is really dynamic, is purpose has a catch, though. And I think purpose and the meaning of life might not be on your radar yet in your life. You know, I, I think about my life, and, um, you know, I used to hear coming out of college, you know, that God has a purpose for you. God has a, a plan for your life. And I know coming out of college, it was interesting this week because the Major League Baseball draft was this week. And, uh, you know, when I came out of college, that was my focus. I sat by the phone the week of the Major League Baseball draft waiting for the call. But it never came because I couldn't hit my weight. And then, and then um, I, I, playing flag football, fell on my shoulder and separated my shoulder. And I couldn't throw, and that's the only thing I really could do. So here I'm coming out of college, and now my purpose and focus has changed. So I really looked at, hey, purpose, focus, I just need three things. I need a job. I need to get a car that won't let me sit on the side of the road. You know what I mean if you're a college student. And thirdly, I need to find a girlfriend, you know. And at that time, I had just met my wife, Jill, um, her senior year in college, and um, you know, that became a real uh, focus and a need to have her as my wife because there was about 10 other guys courting my wife when I first met her. So the competitive person that I am, you know, I began to focus on that. And when I get out of college, though, that was what I really was, that's all I needed. So when you talked about purpose, it really just wasn't on, on my radar. But, but then you come to some point in your life that when you get all the stuff you, and, you, and you, no matter how successful or even how unsuccessful you are, no matter what you own or what you don't own, at some point in your life, everybody asks the question, why does any of this really matter? 
And you may have said that purpose is a nice to have. Maybe you hear it here at church or in, through a nonprofit organization. But in the meantime, you know, I got to sell stuff, I got to eat, and I need a place to sleep. And that's my focus. But sometime in our lives, and I would say the earlier the better, we bump into this question of why am I really doing this? And eventually purpose becomes a big deal as it should be in all our lives. So the definition of purpose is a reason that something exists or is accomplished. Um, um, Nick, can you give me that? So we all know, thank you, we all know what the purpose of this is, right? Um, but you have to think about, and we've had to use this lately in our house, and I won't go into the graphic details of that. But we know the purpose of this, and it has an end result, right? Purpose has an end result. But you got to think about, I want you to think today about the means to the end. So yes, this has a purpose, and it serves the purpose in my home the last few weeks. But it also, it depends on how the means gets to using this purpose. Because a lot of times my attitude is not really good when I'm using this. And it gets a little stinky and crappy, and I won't say other words. But what I want you to think today about purpose is not getting to the end of what it is in life, but actually what is the means to the end. Because most people are not willing to be a means to an end. Most of us want to be the end. But we got to understand there is a price and a cost. And the reward is meaning in life but I can't have meaning if it's all about me. That is where purpose has a catch. So maybe you're asking the wrong questions. The wrong question being, you know, a lot of times in our lives, we ask this question. What is my purpose? Why am I here? And we've asked that time and time again. It's not bad questions to ask, but it focuses on two things, the my and the I. So maybe there's a better question to ask, is who am I here for and who are we here for? Because purpose is kind of found just across the border of what is, what is in it for me. That's the catch. We have to be a means to an end that is not about me. It means saying no to me so I can say yes to something bigger than me. You know, a great example in the business world, I was reading um, a guy named Larry Merlo, who was the CEO of CVS Pharmacies. And in 2014, he comes to the board of directors and said, we need to stop selling cigarettes and tobacco products. And he makes this statement, put simply, the selling of tobacco products is inconsistent with our purpose. Because CVS's purpose was to put people on a path of better health. So a great example of somebody, hey, we want to have people ending health. We can't be selling cigarettes and, and tobacco products knowing what it does to your health. Huge financial impact. Billions of dollars impacted by what CVS did. And I want to encourage you today, this isn't a Christian thing. This is an everybody thing. This is kind of an all-skate so even if you are here today and you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, it is a great teaching for us all because there's an invitation to significance to be unique. But if you're a Christian, and maybe I should clarify that, if you're a Jesus follower, then you are committed to living your life according to what Jesus taught. 
then you must be actively involved in some level in your life to bring about a change. Because people that follow Jesus make things better. You can't actively follow Jesus and not want to make people's lives better. It is impossible because of what Jesus taught and what he modeled. Devotion to God is measured by your devotion to others. Every person you come in contact are made in the image of God. So people matter to God. So people ought to matter to you. You see, devotion to God is not measured by going through a routine of coming to church and going through a routine of studying your Bible and and having a quiet time. It is measured by how you treat other people. Love for God is equated with a love for people. Everywhere Jesus went, people were better off. He acted compassionately toward everyone. So everyone who comes in, come in contact is with is made in the image of God. So that should matter to us as well. You, know, you see multiple times in the New Testament, in each of the Gospels, Jesus makes statements like you see in Luke 9. Verse 23, I don't have it, but here's what it says. It's, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And then he makes this statement. If you try to hang on to your life, and this is from the New Living Translation, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. But that is totally against the culture that we live in. Our culture causes us to be, um, you know, life preservers. I don't want to give away my life. I don't want to risk my life. I want to save my life. That's why I have insurance and a security system and seat belts and airbags. And, you know, I want to preserve my life. I want to save my money. We are by nature life preservers. At some point, I have to get to a point to be willing to lose my life, my time, my money, my reputation, my opportunities, my advancement. It's going to cost you. It is a real tension that we should wrestle with. And I love these two statements that Andy Stanley does in his podcast that are so good. Here's a statement he says, those that devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Isn't that a great phrase? But here's how he points, goes the other way. Those that devote themselves to more than themselves will ultimately have more than themselves to show for themselves. You know, I see that as I, you know, I probably I don't know how many times a year I, I do funerals. And it's amazing, um, you know, the difference in the way you do f- funerals. I love to attend a funeral where there's a life worth celebrating. And every time there's a life worth celebrating, it's when that life has been given away. On the other hand, it's pretty sad when you're sitting in a funeral and all they can talk about is their golf game or, you know, their sense of humor, their, um, the parties that they went to. And that was one thing that was really interesting. When I went through this book and did the life plan, the first thing they have you do is have you write your own eulogy for your funeral. And what people would say at your funeral, not just your family, your, but your coworkers and your neighbors and people that you serve with, maybe here in your life group, or hopefully people that you've impacted for eternity. So one thing I would want you to consider today is how would you answer this question? 
at the end of my life, I would like people to line up and thank me for blank. You know, I know you're going to take care of your kids, and you're going to be a good, hopefully a good wife and husband. I know you're going to be, hopefully, you know, love your parents. But outside the realm of your family and outside the realm of living indoors and eating, what would you like people to line up and thank you for at the end of your life? That is a profound question. So when I think about that, you know, just recently, I think of this guy and his wife. And, you know, we lost Roy this past semester. And, um, you know, you probably, if you were here at Easter, you heard his testimony of his passion for life and the purpose he had even after he got cancer in his life. But what's been inspiring to me is his wife, Maxie, that she continues to carry the torch of living on purpose. And I had to call Maxie this week, and, you know, Maxie, the week after Roy passed away, she went on the ladies' retreat. You know, she joins the welcome team. She even tells me, now I'm really seeing, you know, Roy and I were involved in a lot of stuff. Now I'm really seeking God where he wants me. And um, she just expresses such a joy to be in community on Sunday morning on the welcome team, to be in her life group and the way that life group functions and the joy they have. This is one of the children they sponsor in Honduras. See, and once you step across that line and you know what drove them is they accepted Christ at a very late age probably in their 40s or 50s. And when they understood God's grace and what grace, God's grace was bestowed upon them, they couldn't help but bestow that grace on others. And Maxie told me this week, that's what drives me, is I can't believe I got what I got. And I've got to bestow that on others. And once you step across that line and taste purpose in your life, you can see it in a person's eyes. You can't go back. Maxie's gone to Honduras in less than a month again. So before we go, I want to just give you some seven quick items to find purpose with a catch. One is begin to look at everything you're currently doing through the lens of a means rather than an end. Every job you have, everything you do is purposeful to, to an end. You may think like, you're in a dead-end job, for instance. But you have to look at what is the means to an end. Maybe God will provide me another job, but how can I be used during that time? Because you don't just teach school. You just don't sell cars. You just don't do a spreadsheet. Parents, you're just not raising kids. These are all ends. It's all about the means to the end. You know, parents, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, but just someone you raise. Raising kids is a, is, is a means to an end, not the end. And some of the mundane things we do in our lives, there is purpose. You just have to think a little differently that way. Secondly, I would ask you, what breaks your heart? When you look around your neighborhood, when you look around the school systems, when you look around... Uh, families, when you look around what's happening in the world, I would ask you, to, you, what breaks your heart? What captures your emotion? 
Is there something that becomes so disturbing to you that you can't think about it too long before you, because you get emotional about it? And if you're a Christ follower, what drives your broken heart is to understand what broke God's heart. Because when God looked at the sin of mankind and the separation it caused between himself and mankind, it broke his heart. It compelled him to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this world to die for the sins of mankind. So we can have that fellowship and communion again with God because it broke his heart. And it went way outside his comfort zone to think about sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this world to die for us. So our sin broke God's heart. And when you fully comprehend this, it should drive you that to be on purpose, it has to be about more than you. But when you start answering questions, what breaks your heart is a dangerous question because there is going to be a cost you have to prepare for. I look around here, so many people in our church, and I know what breaks their heart. Like I don't see Bobby Cook in here, but what breaks his heart is when you go the wrong way in the parking lot on this morning, in the morning. Because <laughs> he's passionate because, oh man, there's a visitor coming in and you're going the wrong way. That breaks his heart. You know, I see Andrew Wishmeyer back here. He's got a buddy from UGM today. Here, went down to pick him up. It's a pain in the butt to go down, pick him up, bring him up here. But he's got a buddy with him today because it breaks his heart to see a homeless person and getting back into society and wants to help them along. We have so many people. Where I could point people. Craig Lashley has a heart to have people manage their money well. And that breaks his heart. That's why he's involved in Financial Peace University. But one family that I wanted to show you today has found something that really breaks their heart. And it's a family named um, Jeff and Valerie Chisholm in our church and their family. And what has broken their heart or breaks their heart currently are kids in the foster care system. So I just wanna, want you to watch this video. We are Jeff and Valerie Chisholm. We are parents to... Uh, Jace, Callie, Caleb, and David. And when we think about our, our purpose and, and God's calling on our lives, that's looked different in different stages of life. Um, and so, you know, whether it's been marriage ministry or uh, foster, adopt, uh, it's looked different in different ways. And one thing that's been reoccurring through those different stages and, and callings and seasons is his uh, call to, to sacrifice and obedience. And so uh, we're about to go through the process again where we're getting our license uh, to foster and adopt again. Um, and there's, there's a, a lot of things that go into that um, from a, uh, an emotional standpoint, a, a commitment standpoint, and um, some of those we're, we're not super excited about because they're, they're not all fun. Um, but one thing that we've experienced with God's calling and, and even through the sacrifice and the obedience is that um, it, it's always good. It, it's, it's always been good. He's always had something good through it and in it uh, in a way bigger purpose than 
you know, we would have ever thought of on our own. And, and that's translated to a lot of things in our lives from, um, you know, giving. You know, we're, we're just like our kids. You know, when they're, they're doing something that we know they shouldn't do or they're doing something that uh, we know is not good for them, um, they, they meet it with resistance. You know, I, I look at giving. I'd, I'd really much rather have things and, and do things, but he knows that there's no, there's nothing lasting in that. Um, and so through the, the obedience and the, the sacrifice, he knows that, that giving is a better way. So, you know, in this, this season of our lives where we're uh, called to, to foster and adopt, there, there's going to be amazing things that come through that, but there'll be some really hard places that we'll have to go through, um, we know. And there's just always the blessing of God that we always feel when we're going through those hard places and, and the love for Him and the closeness with Him that we feel and just being able to hear the Holy Spirit so clearly and loudly um, in the midst is um, amazing. Yeah, He's faithful. Faithful to provide. So that's interesting, you know, that they mention there's such blessing and fulfillment with the calling God has placed on their life, but to be foster parents, but there is a sacrifice and a cost too. You know, it's going to require something of you. It is going to require some time, some money, some missed opportunities, some time away from family. It's going to cost you something. And as we see in Jesus' teaching, the essence of following him is not self-improvement, but self-denial. You know, that's hard for me. It's got to be hard. It's hard for the American society. But Jesus says, I have something better for you. But you will never be able to say yes to my better offer until you can say no to you. But it's hard. It's a call to give, their, give your lives to something bigger and better and far more fulfilling. But here's the bottom line. As long as it's all, it's, I'm all about me, I can't be about anything else. And that's Jesus' life of an invitation for purpose. And again, purpose is always found on the other side of the border of what is, what is in it for me. Purpose is always found just over the line and outside of your comfort zone. But Jesus says, come on. Jesus says, Call, calls it abundant life, that you give yourself away and you truly find meaning in life. The next point is start small and be faithful with the little things. Be faithful in the small things that you do not, that don't matter as much and treat them with the same level of respect and importance as the big things connected to your hope and dreams. So many of us want to get there, wherever there may be, but when we get there, we're not ready because we haven't been battle ready. The great tragedy would be to live your life waiting for that moment to come instead of living your life preparing for when that moment comes. You know, sometimes we wonder why God hasn't given us the opportunities we long for, but from his perspective, he wonders why we chose to be unprepared for the opportunities he's placed right in front of us. Failure is rarely about the challenges we face. Rather, it is about the lack of preparation. You know, I, I remember a family uh, years ago in our church that came up to me. I didn't really know them that well. And they said, hey, we feel called to the mission field. And I'm like, okay. 
Um, I don't know you very well. I don't know what God has been doing in your life. You haven't been very involved at Hillside. I just said, well, have you been on the mission field on your street? Have you ever shared Christ to your neighbor? And I think we all do that. Failure is rarely about the challenges we face. Rather, it is about the lack of preparation. Important for us to prepare. You know, we do this class at Hillside to help you with that. It's online, and then we have someone, Suzanne Parkhill, sits down with you after that, and you look at your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences to find out where God can really use you. And that's an opportunity for you to use that. The next point is be ambitious. Don't live, don't leave any arrows in your quiver. You know, it's a great, this, I read this book this summer by Erwin McMahon. It's called The Last Arrow. And, um, you know, he makes a great point or tells the story in 2 Kings um, chapter 13 where there's a King Joash that is getting ready to go to battle and Elisha is on his deathbed. You know, the prophet Elisha that we've talked about so much and I love his story. And so Joash comes to Elisha and says, I need your blessing. I want your blessing before I go and, and, and uh, attack these people that have been oppressing, the Arameans. And so he goes, and Elisha says, take out a bow and arrow. And he has his quiver. And if you read King Joash's uh, background, he's not the most godly man, but he really wants God's blessing and the prophet's blessing before he goes into the battle. So... Elisha tells Joash, says, take out your arrows and strike them on the ground. Strike them because I want to give you the battle and the victory. And so Joash comes down and he strikes one, probably breaks it. He strikes another and he breaks it. And he strikes another one and breaks it. But here's Elisha's response to Joash. So the man of God, which is Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. So how many times, so the the fact that the king stopped Striking the arrow was connected to his determination to receive the full measure of God's intention for him. He quit, and the victory was lost. Joash just didn't want it badly enough. And I wonder how much more good God desires to usher into the world that has been blocked by our lack of ambition. So the question to ask today is, am I the kind of person who strikes three times and then stops? Or am I the kind of person who, when commanded to strike my arrows, keeps striking and striking and striking and striking until there are no arrows left? So let's not leave our lives of potential in the quiver and be be there of full, untapped potential and opportunity. The next point I want to make is from a book I read this summer um, with a young man in our church. It's uh, sold 12 million copies, and it's uh, called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And if you know Viktor Frankl's story, he was a Jew that was in the Nazi concentration camps. 
and he was also a psychiatrist. So it's interesting to see all that he goes through, and he describes it here, of all the suffering, both physically, mentally, emotionally. And he, he makes this statement in the book I just want to read to you. The way in which a person accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross, which is interesting, he makes that statement, gives him ample opportunity. Even the most difficult circumstances can add to a deeper meaning in life. And Frankel's whole point is most men in the concentration camp believed that the real opportunities of life had passed. Yet in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph, and one could ignore the challenge and simply vegetate, as a lot of the prisoners did. Victor Frankl shares a story one time. He'd get to a point where he's now disgusted in the, the, in the affairs that he has physically, mentally, emotionally, and he just was ready to give up and die. But then he forced his thoughts to turn to another subject. He saw himself giving a lecture on the psychology of being in a concentration camp, on a college campus. And he said, that kept me going because I know I had a purpose. I had a meaning in life. So God can use suffering in our lives to give us meaning and purpose. You know, I told you about, you know, I was one of the biggest disappointments in my life not to get drafted by Major League Baseball. But I stepped back and said, that wasn't my end. There was a means to the end because I stepped back and looked at the people that influenced me, my, my teammates, my coach, and um, the impact that had on my life that I saw that it was a means to something better God had for me. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been through suffering, there God can take that and make it and use it for a purpose. And then the last point is just surround yourselves with on-purpose people. There's actually been a neuroscientist study that says when two people are in the same room and in their same company, their brain waves begin to look identical. Actually, being with another person begins to align your brain with them. So the people you have an impact with your engagement on reality beyond what you can explain, you become like, that's scary for me because I, you know, I grew up with four women in my house. So you're like, that's scary. That's why, that's why I always have to invite guys over to watch the NBA Finals because I got to have some guy time. But think about it. Now there's science to back this up. Surrounding ourselves with purposeful people is actually a strategy. Living on purpose can be contagious. What is most contagious about that group is their joy. You know, what Maxie was telling me this week is, I just get such joy about being on the welcome team and serving people. I just get such joy of what happens when we go serve together. I get such joy when I'm in my life group and we're caring and ministering to one. I get such joy when I go to Honduras and see people that have nothing, but yet their life is purposeful because they've given their life to Jesus Christ. So I just want to close. We, 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 um, this is a young man named Jacob Sanchez. And um, we had a video. He shot a video. He's in Colorado right now. Um, he grew up in our church um, of a single mom in our church. And um, didn't know, you know, he, he was around, but um, he contacted the office this past summer and said, hey, uh, I'm going on a mission this summer, and you say mission, but he's, he's in Colorado this summer, 
and he sent this video, and we couldn't get the audio, so we're going to put the video out on Facebook. I'd encourage you to go hear his testimony. Because he talks about, you know, in October of 2016, when he's on the campus of UT Arlington, somebody shares Christ and talks to him about having a purpose. And he takes a big leap of faith, being a single mom, and, you know, he contacted us to just say, is there any way you could, could support me through, you know, this summer? Because things are tight. And so we as a church, you know, that's why you give to missions. We just felt our heart to support a guy like this. And you go out and listen to his testimony. He talks about giving his life in October 2016. A guy in that campus life ministry discipling him and having him grow in his faith. And then he says in this video, now I know that God has a specific purpose in my life. So that's what I would encourage you today. As you think about this, um, as I've been thinking about it, you know, I told you, I, I've been going through a process in my own life to really look at where does God want me in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And so there's been a whole thing going on with me. I love what we're doing with the Honduras Education Program and being able to benefit children. We have over 200 kids sponsored. But now we've started another nonprofit called Empowering Education International just because we love the model of what Hillside is doing with Honduras that we feel like, Maybe we want to take this elsewhere in the world. Maybe we want to, we're working with a ministry, uh, a church, an American church in, in the Iowa right now and connecting them with a ministry in Uganda. I don't know, but that, that, that breaks my heart when kids can't go to school. And then you see not just the educational impact of that, but the spiritual impact when you got a guy like Pastor Arturo that's leading that ministry down there, and you see the um, economic impact, that breaks my heart. And so I don't know, that's where I'm kind of taking little steps that way. And then I think about young men like Jacob. And I think about what's he going to do when he's out of the confines of UT Arlington? We need... Um, seasoned men that would take a young man like that and put him under his wing. We need women to be able to take younger women. And so that's, I feel like God's call. I don't know how many years I have, but to me, I want to create a legacy and leave an impression on others. So we have, you know, these D groups in our church. And if that's something you would be laid on your heart to lead a young man or lead a young woman, let's talk. If you're a young person here and you feel like you need direction and you need a purpose, I would encourage you to get involved and go discover. Go take, go serve. And, and let's see you be faithful with the little things and we'll get you connected. So as I close, I just want to encourage you that you just come on, that devote yourself to something more than yourself. Then you will have more than yourself to show for yourself. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, um, Lord, that you have a purpose for us and a meaning in life, but we understand it can't be about us. Because when we get to the end of our lives, Lord, it just can't be about me or I. It's all about what you've called us to do. And as Christ followers, if you're a Christ follower, Lord, we know, we understand we have to lose our life to save our life. We pray that as we leave here, we'll step back and think about what we need to leave 
what we need to give away and really invest in the next generation, invest in others. So I just pray for us all. I pray for us all to consider what breaks our heart, that we can be faithful with the little things and that we won't let any arrows in our quiver, that we'll keep striking and striking and striking until, Lord, we continue to see you glorified in our lives. I just thank you, Lord, for your love. Pray for anybody, Lord, that here today that has not accepted you as Savior, that, doesn't, that has never come to the um, observation that, Lord, what broke your heart was our sin and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take care of that sin. I just thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I just pray for us all, Lord, to live on purpose. But it can't be about us. And I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.